Today's sermon comes from 2 Chronicles 7 and John 1. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Many years ago, I went to the doctor because I was having lower back pain. And the doctor gave me a few exercises, but his strongest counsel I will never forget. He said, you're tall. I thought, that's really insightful. He said, you're really tall, which means that when you speak to people, you have to look down, you have to crane your neck down, your posture caves, and it puts tension on your back. So he said, what I need you to do is that when you speak to people, I need you to take a few steps back. And I thought, wow, this could be really good for my lower back. Probably not so good for engaging people. It's so nice to meet you. I'm so glad to meet you. Let me take a few steps back from you, right? Or I'm so interested in your life. Let me move away from you as I speak with you. We watch the six o'clock news. We watch the... Social, social media posts and threads. We see the hurt and pain in our lives and the lives of family members. We contemplate unanswered prayers. We endure long suffering. And we wonder deep down, is God really engaged with my life? Is he really engaged with this world? Is he really with us? Is he moving towards us? Is God engaged? That's the question we're going to answer. And to answer it, we're going to look at the manifestation of his engagement, the evidence, and the nature of his engagement. So let's start first with the manifestation of his engagement. Look at verse 1 in 2 Chronicles 7. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, the parallel passage in 1 Kings 8 says that there was a cloud that filled the temple. At the dedication of the temple, now this is the permanent temple that replaced the tabernacle. God's people were rescued out of Egypt. They went through the wilderness for 40 years. During those 40 years, God came down in the form of the tabernacle, which moved with them, a portable temple. 
Now we're at the place where Solomon, in the promised land, builds the permanent temple. And at the dedication, we see fire and cloud come down. This isn't the first time this has happened in Israel's history. In fact, you go all the way back when God called Moses to rescue his people out of Egypt. He called God in a burning bush, right, through fire. When God's people came out of Egypt, they were led out of Egypt with a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. When they get to Mount Sinai and God comes down, right, on Mount Sinai as, they, as he gives Moses the Ten Commandments, listen to the description in Exodus 24. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. The cloud and fire was nothing new to God's people. That had been the evidence of God's presence. That's how he manifested himself to his people was through the cloud and in the fire. That's how they knew that he was present. That's how he, they knew that he was engaged. He was with them in the good, the bad, the hard. The cloud was the manifestation of God's engagement. So where's the cloud and the fire today? What does God's engagement look like today? How is it manifested? You know, there's many that would run with a cloud and fire. There's many that would say, I, I hear God or I see God in a certain cloud formation or in a certain way the stars align and I read my horoscope and there's constellations and, and even sometimes there's, there's weird, weird images in a fire that, that are very divine-like and you see that on social media, you see it on TV shows, 48 Hours, others that, that capture these kind of strange fire and cloud-like mystical cryptic messages from God and, the, and these shows are really fascinating. They're really intriguing, but you're learning about something that one person sees that another doesn't see, and it's all very mysterious. The manifestation of God's presence today is not in a cloud and in a fire, because the cloud, the glory cloud that goes throughout the Old Testament put on flesh and bones. The glory cloud was born in a manger. The glory cloud slept and ate, and wept, and cried. There's nothing mysterious about that, or cryptic about that, or some people saw it, and some didn't. God became flesh, real flesh and bones, at the incarnation. He put on flesh. It's not mysterious, although in the early centuries, there were people that created heresies that were still trying to make it very cryptic and very strange that Jesus really wasn't flesh. He was this kind of weird hologram, kind of there, kind of not, not really human, and that's all untrue, that God actually came and put on flesh and bones and became a real man. Christianity is the only major world religion that claims that God became flesh. 
It is the only religion in our world that claims that God became man and put on flesh. Imagine you're at a uh, football game, big football game, home game for the team, and the announcer is getting ready to announce the team. They're back in the tunnel, the coaches, the players are in the tunnel, and they start the fog machine, right? And this fog, this, this, this cloud of fog starts bellowing by the tunnel, and you and the 80,000 others are going crazy, going berserk, going nuts, getting excited, anticipating the team to come out. Now, I just want you to imagine you're at a game, and the, and the fog machine starts blowing, and there's fog, and everybody's going crazy, and the team never comes out. It's just a bunch of fog. And everybody keeps cheering and cheering and cheering and cheering and anticipating, but they never come out. You see, that the cloud and the fire that we see appearing throughout the Old Testament is anticipation for the one who would come out of the cloud, no longer a cloud, a person, real flesh, Real bones. You say, where's the cloud and fire today? You don't want the cloud. You want flesh and bones. And that's exactly what God delivered. And that's what Christmas is all about. God becoming man and putting on flesh and bones. Is God really engaged with this world? The answer is yes. And he's manifested his engagement by putting on flesh, by becoming a person. Coming that near. Second question, though, what's the evidence of his engagement? If, if manifestation is about presence, what's the evidence that he's engaged and committed? Because you and I know that you can be present but not engaged. In your marriage, in a friendship, you can be present but not really committed or engaged. What's the evidence of God's engagement and commitment beyond just presence, but engagement and commitment. Look at verse two in 2 Chronicles 7. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Now the word for temple in verse one and the word for house in verse two, it's the same Hebrew word. And that word that gets translated temple or house means house or dwelling. It means house or dwelling. The temple was, was God's presence, his dwelling with God's people. You think about the tabernacle, right, in the Old Testament from when they got rescued out of Egypt prior to the promised land in the wilderness. Think about that. God led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That was his presence, his presence to guide them, to protect them. You say, Isn't, wasn't that enough? Wasn't that enough that God was, was present and a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire led them? Wasn't that enough? Well, apparently not because God went beyond that. When they would move in the wilderness every day, they would journey, then they would, they would set up camp at night. They would pitch their tent. God pitched his tent with them. That was the tabernacle. He moved into their neighborhood. That's how committed he was. That's how engaged he was with them. And that's the, the beauty of when the temple is built. It's the permanent structure in the promised land of God moving into the neighborhood. 
What's striking though, and you see this in verse two, God moves into the neighborhood, so to speak. He comes down into the temple, glory, cloud, fire. His presence comes down, but then he doesn't let anyone in. Look at verse two, right? The priest couldn't go in. You say, wow, that, that doesn't sound overly engaging. I'm gonna move into the neighborhood and I'm not gonna let anybody in. I'm gonna move in but then I'm gonna keep you out. What, what, what's going on there? During my sophomore year of college, I didn't go home during Thanksgiving. Uh, I lived in South Florida, my parents did still. I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, it's a plane flight. So decided instead of going home, I was gonna go to my grandmother's house in Tawanda, Pennsylvania, kind of north central PA, somewhat close to Pittsburgh. So I go home to my grandmother's house for Thanksgiving. One of my classmates at Carnegie Mellon was from Tawanda. He said, hey, Keith, we have this, what's called Turkey Bowl on Thanksgiving Day, and it's a big football game. All of my high school classmates and former people come, and we have this big, massive football game on the high school field. So now I'm a South Florida boy. We went and played football that Thursday. It was maybe 30 degrees. It was snow on the ground, and I believe lightly snowing at the time. The field was muddy, it was tackle football. So I play this game, and I get done, and I am wet, I am muddy, I am cold, and my friend drops me off back at my grandmother's house, and I'm walking up the steps going, I cannot wait for a warm shower. And I tap on the door, and my grandmother comes to the door, and she opens the door and looks at me. And it was a look of part disgust. And she looked at me and said, what happened to you? And I said, she's playing some football. She said, okay, hold on. She comes back with a bucket, a rag, and a towel points off to the side of the patio and says, do you see that spigot right there and that hose? I need you to clean up before you come in. So I go to this hose, and indeed, I, and she said, and get your coat off and your pants off when you come in. So I had to clean up. I, I washed in 30-degree weather a hose, washed off my coat and pants, got down to my skivvies, and finally could get into my grandmother's house. On the surface... You read verse two, and it seems like God is not very engaging. He comes down to dwell in this house with his people, but then the priest can't even go in, and certainly not the people. If the priest can't go in, doesn't seem very hospitable. Doesn't seem very engaging. But I'll tell you that God's actions here are very different than my grandmother's actions. My grandmother's actions were not born in that moment out of love for me. Her actions were born out of love for her clean house. And if I came into her house, I would dirty her house. 
So whether I got pneumonia or not did not matter. Her house was going to be clean. God didn't keep the priests out or the people out of his house because they would dirty his house. Nor did he keep them at arm's length because they would corrupt his holiness. Nor did he keep them away from his house because God can't be in the presence of sin. No, God can be in the presence of sin. He just incinerates it. He destroys it. And so what you see here is God moving into the neighborhood of his people to be near them in a way that didn't destroy them. It was an act of protection for his people and for the priests. Once a year, the priest could go in on the Day of Atonement with the blood of a sacrifice. And after thoroughly washing, like I was asked to wash outside at the spigot. They had to clean up. But it was born out of God's love and protection. How he could engage his people without destroying them. And this is the tension that we see throughout the Old Testament, is how is God gonna engage his people, move into their neighborhood, come down on the temple to be present with them in a way that wouldn't destroy them? How would God do that? And the answer is the bodily temple, right? the bodily temple of Jesus. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. That word dwelt there means tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacled with us. One chapter later in John 2, Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He was speaking of his body. In the bodily temple of Jesus Christ, God satisfied the demands of his holiness and the demands of his steadfast love. Your sin was put on Jesus so that God's wrath and holiness and justice could be poured out on that sin and his steadfast love could draw you to himself. He could destroy your sin without destroying you. And that's exactly what happened. And that means that through faith in Jesus Christ, you have open access to God. That means you have open access to God. Every moment of every day, you have access to God. You can go where the priests and people in the Old Testament did not go. God has engaged us, and the evidence is the temple, the bodily temple of Jesus, and it gets even better because the Apostle Paul says that the Holy Spirit, the glory cloud through the Holy Spirit, didn't just move into our neighborhood, it moved into you. That when you trust Christ, that glory cloud of God's presence that manifested in flesh and bones of Jesus upon faith in Christ moves into you. 
And God says, I'm moving in and I'm not going. I'm not leaving because of what my son has done. So in Christ, you have open access to God. Is God really engaged with this world? The answer is yes. Loud yes. He manifests it in flesh and bones, his presence through Jesus. The evidence of it is the temple, which plays out into the body of Jesus and now the, the body of Christ. Finally, what's the nature of his engagement? What's the nature of this engagement of God with us? Look at verse three in 2 Chronicles 7. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Two powerful truths about the nature of God's engagement in this one verse. First, his engagement is weighty and disruptive. It's weighty and disruptive. That phrase, the glory of the Lord, appears three times in those first three verses of 2 Chronicles 7. That word glory in the Hebrew, kabod, it means weighty or heavy. So you say, what's the glory of God? It's the weightiness of God. It's the heaviness of God. It's not a crushing weight. It's, a, it's, the, it's the glory, all-consuming fire, cloud, the, the weighty presence of God. That's what glory means. And it's disruptive. Notice how the people respond. When the, when the cloud and the fire descend on the temple, what do they do? They physically bow down and worship and give thanks. See, the, the weighty glory of God is disruptive. It causes you to worship. And if you see the glory cloud, which became flesh and bones in Jesus, and upon faith in him, the glory of Jesus comes to live inside of you. The glory of Jesus inside you is disruptive. It causes worship. So what does this look like? I've, I've shared this before, but imagine two young toddlers. Young toddlers who are at home with a babysitter while mom and dad are gone for the day. And the day goes great, but about mid-afternoon, it all starts to break down. And these little brothers start fighting and yelling and screaming at each other, fighting over the same toy, not sharing. And, and the babysitter has tried everything to get them to stop. And then something amazing happens. Mom and dad pull up to the house. They walk up. They can hear it. They can hear the disaster unfolding. They hear the yelling. They hear the screaming. They get to the door. They open the door. Those two young brothers are clutched onto the same toy, white-knuckled onto the toy, fighting on it. And they both look up and they see mom and dad, and they drop the toy. And they run to mom and dad and they embrace mom and dad. Something more weighty than the toy walked into the room. When you trust Jesus and Jesus comes to dwell, to tabernacle, to live inside you by the Holy Spirit, it 
is disruptive. It disrupts your workaholism or your careerism. It disrupts your pleasure-seeking. It disrupts your people-pleasing. It is disruptive. Disrupts your, your hoarding and your hoarding of money and time. Causes you to worship. The nature of God's engagement is weighty and disruptive. Second truth that we learn from verse three. It's not only weighty and disruptive, but the, the, that God's engagement is eternal. It's eternal. Look at the end of verse three. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That word for steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed, and we, we can't get an English word that captures what that means. There's a great children's storybook Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible that gets pretty close at it. This is how it describes steadfast love, or this Hebrew word hesed. The never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. God says, my engagement with humanity is forever. It's eternal. My steadfast love endures forever. You say, great. God says that. What's the evidence of it? A little while back, my family was spending some time with friends, and I don't know what got to this conversation or why this question was asked, but my son said, does Jesus have eyebrows? That's a great question. Does Jesus have eyebrows? And the friend said, he used to, referring to his time on earth. And I jumped in quickly and I said, and buddy, he still does. And he will forever. God engaged us by becoming flesh, and he remains engaged by keeping flesh forever. So that right now, Jesus still has a body with eyebrows and will for eternity. You say, is God really engaged? Oh, he says he's engaged forever. The evidence is he, in the person of Jesus, has flesh and blood and bones right now and will forever. Now that's staying engaged. That is staying engaged. My senior year of college, a group of us went to the Florida Keys for spring break. And one of the things that Key West is known for are the street performers. I mean, you go down there and there are street performers everywhere. They will sing to you. They will do a magic trick for you. They will pull off a stunt for you. They'll do whatever. Listen, this is decades later. And I still remember one of the street performers. His name was the great Rondini. And the great Rondini was a playoff of Harry Houdini, okay, who was that famous stunt guy who would pull off these sensational escape acts. And I will tell you that the great Rondini was really good. Watched him get all wrapped up in chains, and then five minutes later, boom, he's free, right? He was an amazing escape artist. God's not an escape artist. God engages. When Adam and Eve sinned, God engaged them. When Moses ran away to the desert, 
God engaged him. When Abraham tried to fulfill God's promises his own way, God engaged him. When King David committed adultery and murder, God engaged him. Now, while God's not an escape artist, you and I are very good at it. We're very good at escaping, especially when life gets hard. When life gets hard, we, we escape our job. We escape relationships. We escape responsibilities. We just escape. We escape. And we don't engage. Here's a question I, wanna, I want you to ask. Let me spend some time on this week, this week of Christmas where we are worshiping a God who engaged with us and remains engaged, and even in your sin, continues to move forward you, for, towards you with engagement. Which word, escape or engage, better defines your life? What or whom do you need to engage this Christmas season, even though it's incredibly painful and incredibly difficult? The only way that you will engage amidst the pain and amidst the hurt and in the midst of the difficulty is if you are responding to the one, Jesus Christ, who has engaged you and who continues to engage your heart because he lives inside of you. Let's pray. Father, amazing to think 2,000 or so years ago after a long, long story of you appearing in cloud and in fire and then the 400 years of silence between the last prophet and the appearing of John the Baptist and ultimately your son Jesus that you put on flesh and bones in the person of Christ in a manger to be with your people, to engage us in a way that ultimately wouldn't crush us, to engage in a way that would destroy sin but not destroy us, but to destroy your son instead. So when we read that your steadfast love endures forever, you don't just say that, you have demonstrated it clearly. And would you make us a people that respond to your becoming flesh? Would you make us a people that respond to you, Jesus, as you engage us, that we would engage with you and that we would engage with the world around us? Father, for those right now who are in a place of escape, whether it's vocational or relational or with maybe pain and suffering in their body, would you by your spirit draw them and move them to engage in your power, with your presence? And would you make us a church, a little tiny local church here in Jacksonville, Florida, 
Would you make us a community of people that engage well with our neighbors and friends and coworkers? Because you have engaged us and you've engaged for eternity. Father, as we close in worship, you engage our hearts to sing to you and to be in awe and wonder of what you've done to come down and rescue us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.